expressed are not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, the station, or its advertisers. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. And I want to welcome you to another Monday edition of Life Align on this KFAX 1100 AM dial. It is one of the longest and broadest Christian radio stations in North America and certainly here in California. And your host, Jesse Gistan, happens to be part of that uh, that, that largest uh uh, notoriety, that largest reputation, and glad to be here again with you in the year 2024. We thank the Lord for it. We are glad to be here. We have made it across the threshold of 2023 into this new year, year of our Lord, uh, Anno Domino, and uh, it's January 8th. January 8th, a week and a day out. We are 50 weeks uh, residing, remaining within this year. And uh, I will tell you, uh, there's a lot, a lot on store, a lot in the pipelines, a lot going on in our world. As you might already know, um, it's almost unavoidable to recognize all of the different landscapes, all of the different theaters of uh interests of conflict, of turmoils, of battles. It's almost obvious to recognize that there are few arenas, few spaces, few places where there is a profound sense of uh, optimism, of purpose, of goal orientation, of real, authentic, uh, radically moral and ethical reality emerging uh, in the populace. What do I mean by that? The Bible calls the world, this world system, and, and this uh, terra firma a place uh, frequently inhabited with darkness and uh, obscurity. This is not an uncommon concept. When the Genesis narrative was written, as you know, it opens up with establishing the world on a premise and in a state of chaos, tohu bohu, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. Tohu bohu, it was not a place of order. It was not a place of coherence. It was not a place of, of clarity. It was not a place of structure. It wasn't a place of blessing. It didn't have boundaries. didn't have categories. It didn't have the touch that God would bring into it when he said in verse 2 and 3, and uh, darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord moved upon the face of the waters and separated the waters from below and from above. And then he said, let there be light. He divided the day from the night, called the night darkness and the day light. And he began the process of organizing this universe as you and I know it, and particularly this terra firma upon which you and I are. He declared that light is necessary for life. Light is necessary for clarity. Light is necessary for coherence. 
light is necessary for fruitful, productive species and creatures and human beings to coexist in a manner in which God could decree as he did in the end of chapter one. And God saw all that he had made, all that he had created, and he said that it was good. And then he said that man in his first estate before his fall also was part of that very good that God decreed, God saw, God declared should be the condition of things that God touches uh, minus the presence and impact of sin. But from the day that our first parents exchanged the true and the living God for a false God uh, at the proposition of a snake of which they should have never been speaking to in the first place since they were on the higher echelon of the chain of creative order, they should have been exercising authority over that snake and not allowing him to pretend that he was something that he was not, which is part of the uh, grand mythos that dominates our world, does it not, where men and nations and people pretend to be God when they're nothing but a creature. And, uh, and so we've been in this constant battle since the fall of Adam and Eve with reality. We've been in the battle of uh, the consequences of eating the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and therefore you and I are obviously in a state of perpetual tension, perpetual conflict, perpetual struggle as to what is right and wrong, what is good and evil, what is true and what is false in our world. You're not going to get away from it. And today, all over the world, because of where we are in the eschatological timeline of biblical history and clear prophetic trajectory towards a final telos, a final state of, of being, we are in a very highly technologically uh, complex system of manipulative propaganda and, uh, and influence at the profoundly uh, massive, pervasive, psychological and emotional propositional level as well. We are struggling with what we hear. We are struggling with what we see. We are toiling with prognostications. We are struggling with uh, propaganda. That's the word I want to put out to you. And we are struggling even more immensely with uh, the propagation of information and data and news that is really rooted in a system called predictive programming. Of course, predictive programming is really nothing but a New Testament model, a present age contemporary model of Old Testament false prophecies, the assertion of false visions, the laying out of a trajectory within the oracles of the mystics about what the future holds, that there is no difference between now and then in terms of predictive programming uh, at that level. So the Bible warns us early on, particularly when God created the conduit for the coming of Christ with the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy to make sure that you do not suffer a false prophet to live because a false prophet will turn you away from the true and the living God. And a false prophet therefore will turn you away from the truth. And when you and I are not able to engage, abide in, um, resonate with, acquaint ourselves with the truth, then you and I are much more subtly inclined to embrace a lie. And then in embracing that lie, we will commit idolatry. 
And idolatry is the transformation of our own well-being into something that does not correspond with what God wants us to be. This is the tragic reality of our present day, as Romans 1, uh, 18 through 26 tells us. When they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but became vain in their what? Imagination. How did that happen? Propaganda, 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 and predictive programming, false visions and false teachings that continually and repeatedly uh, seized upon the minds of men and women through all kinds of modes. One of the things we're going to talk about today is predictive programming around the idea of movies. I am uh, unpacking in our class, we are having... Uh, we're going through a series called The Pilgrim's Progress through the Book of Romans, and I am simultaneously uh, teaching through the Book of Romans. You'll hear it on our noontime program at some point in the near future. It will be good studies, I guarantee you that, but you can catch us online as well at grace-bible.com. Pastor Jesse Gistan of Grace Bible Church in Hayward, and we are doing it on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I'll talk to you about that after the break, but uh, what I'm doing right now is unpacking Pilgrim's Progress, a very historically uh, celebrated work by John Bunyan in the uh, 18th century, 19th century, early 18th century, 19th century work, 18th century work that uh, brought about for the Christian community at large, particularly after the Reformation, um, an allegory of the Christian journey. The Pilgrim's Journey Through This World. And we are unpacking it in a very contextual way and through a process that we call systematic theology. So right now we are in the first stages of working through Pilgrim's Progress with Pilgrim making his way uh, away from his home towards the Wicked Gate. And there are a number of absolutely essential jewels of theological truth that we are starting to lay down as we address again systematic theology from a biblical standpoint. And you're welcome to join us if you want to get online with us uh, with some of these things. My email address is gbchayward at gmail.com, gbchayward at gmail.com. The classes are thrilling. We are doing Wednesday Zoom meetings uh, to uh, further develop our insights into that wonderful allegory of the Christian journey. If you want to grow in a knowledge of God's word through that, uh, through that mechanism with us, you are welcome to join us as well. When I come back, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit more about predictive programming because of a movie that came out called Leave the World Behind <laughs> by President Obama and his wife, Michelle. And uh, we have deconstructed it, analyzed it, and looked into it. And we want to talk about predictive programming and movies, period. You might want to join us with that. So don't touch your dial. The number to reach me, however, is one 367 We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we're back. The time is 520 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house. Again, the number is one 367 1-888-367-5329. The Lord Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, as he was letting the disciples know what things would befall them in just a few years from AD 33, he said, at that time... And there shall be signs in the sun and in the moon 
and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexities, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, for the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. When these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. Uh, we cannot give the number of how many times this portion of scripture has been misinterpreted to make application to any group of Christians in any era from the days of Christ to now, asserting that that prophecy was strictly referring to only their time and particularly after AD 70. Um, but what Jesus was doing as scholars know is using prophetic formulaic language, the language of the prophets, particularly in terms of cosmological metaphor, where the sun does not shine, the moon doesn't give its light, and the stars begin to fall from heaven, and there is a collapsing of the celestial bodies to the earth, which you and I know physically can't really occur, but as a metaphor, what it was referring to was the collapse of kingdoms, whether it was the Egyptian kingdom, the Assyrian kingdom, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian kingdom, the Grecian kingdom, or the Roman kingdom, Roman empire, the last system on the earth, or as Israel also fell prey to the folly of thinking that it was somehow an eternal state of uh, physical uh, dominion, it fell prey to that same condemnation as well. When you read your Bible carefully, Jerusalem has fallen. And the same judgments that came upon the uh, other Gentile nations came upon Israel expressly the way the Lord Jesus said it as the last uh, and great and impeccable and culmination of all the prophets uh, in, in the close of the Old Testament era in AD 33 through 37. The old covenant ended, the temple was destroyed it was demolished and the Jews were scattered to the four winds with the exception of a handful of people and the gospel age took on an official status all the way up until now. And uh, the stars falling, the moon not uh, giving its light, the sun being darkened are metaphors for the chaos and corruption and collapsing of nations, of powers, of leaders and governors, governments, and, and, and you guys, you can be sure that that is where you and I are now. I mean, it's just absolutely wild when we think about uh, our government, when we think about the, those who are supposed to be shining lights and guides to babes, to the blind, to the, to the, uh, to the, to the naive and the young, where American citizens and citizens around the world are supposed to be led by our leaders who are supposed to be illuminaries, but are they not like stars collapsing everywhere? I don't know where to begin. I do want to make our way into what I have uh, started in not my opening monologue, and that's around predictive programming. And as I told you, the Bible lays out that these there would be a constant conflict and battle in the world around the propositional ideas of what is true and what is false. Two spirits in the world, the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. First John chapter four. Two spirits in the world, the spirit of truth, spirit of error. The word spirit in the New Testament, panuma, in that context is referring to teachers or communicators or speakers. 
They're called teachers. They're called spirits uh, because they set forth doctrine that asserts to have a correlation to and are coextensive of some divine being giving us revelation as to what reality is, should be, or will be. And so when you hear prophecy from a lot of these wingnuts all over the place, particularly when we enter into chaotic states, wanting to tell you what the Lord said, then you know you're engaging in a kind of uh, theological and religious predictive programming as well. You know that. And, uh, and we've been warned by the Old Testament frequently that there would be many false prophets rising up. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. Many, many false prophets rising up, saying all sorts of things from the fact that they were God or that they were Jesus or that they had the Holy Spirit and that unless you just follow them, um, you, you wouldn't have direction. He said, be careful that you're not deceived. We have learned that uh, the idea of uh, prophetic utterances or casting forth visions or telling the world the way things can be do not, do not reside only within the religious realm. If you read your Bible carefully, you will know that the prophets have always, because of their greed and lust for money, have always made their way to the political realm. False prophets always ease their way up to presidents and, 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 and monarchs and uh, rulers. Uh, false prophets always make their way into high places in order to uh, hoodwink and affirm the megalomaniac agendas and ideas of politicians and leaders. In America, I must say, uh, fits that particular build and program well. Would you agree? And uh, so, yeah, false prophets are all over the place. And you must never think that the vast majority of the power brokers in the world, whether it's in the presidency or whether it's the banking system or whether it's in your NGOs, non-governmental organizations like the World Economic Forum, Council for Foreign Relations, Club of Rome, are and many of the other very high tycoons who are trillionaires, whether they're families or just companies. And that whole cabal is a, is a bunch of conversation. None of them are non-religious. They all are religious in some kind of mystical, some kind of esoteric, some kind of Gnostic, some type of, some kind of profound Masonic illuminaries, Illuminati groups. They're all really, truly, because they're created in the image of God. So they can't be completely vacuous of some kind of notion of a deity, whether it's a demon or not. And quite frankly, they are part of an emerging reality in our world, whereas you've learned in Revelation chapter 17, verse 11, going through 14, that the beast that was and is not, and yet is, is about to come up out of uh, esotericism into explicit manifestation and show up in his wiles and perdition and, and chaos and confusion and captivity and, and destruction. That's what he does, steals, kills, and destroys. And uh, we go through these epics, every reset within our world, and we're in one now. And it is at an exponentially high level because of technology. Um, I wish you knew. I really do. I wish you knew because God warned us about it, and he's still warning us about being careful to try the spirits, whether they be of God or not. Uh, and then, and, and not only, again, I want to warn you, not in just a religious circle, but definitely in a political circles. 
definitely in the realm of entertainment, like movies. This is why I want to talk about Obama and Michelle's presenting a movie called Leaving the World Behind. What a religious concept. What a an interesting play on terms in order to forecast events that are already upon us, but certainly will make themselves manifest before. Let me lay out a proposition before we go to another break. These breaks. <laughs> um, you and I know that presidents have, have forecast events before. They have uh, felt it was their responsibility to let the people know, warn the nation about things taking place. Eisenhower uh, made it very clear. So did John F. Kennedy. You and I talk about it all the time. There are powers. There are dynamics. They're controlled. Lyndon B. Johnson did the same thing. Who, who controls the weather controls the world. They all laid it out because when you're part of the demonic system, you actually have to let the world of peons know what you're doing in order to prepare them for it. This is called predictive programming. Well, movies do this a lot. And one of the things we're going to talk about is um, what movies do you know and recognize historically have been absolutely spot on when it came to predictive programming? And then I also have a proposition for you, because in our classes, we're working this through biblically. One of the things I say is because we're on a uh, we're in a theater of conflict, all movies cannot possibly be bad. Certainly not all movies are good. All movies cannot possibly be bad. If you want to call one 367 I'm going to want two from you. I'm going to want a negative, evil prognostication, uh, predictable programming movie that is bad, but obviously was a forecasting of events to come. I can give you tons of them because this is, happens to be where we are. But I also want you to affirm a proposition that I've made. Not all movies are predictive programming in the evil and in the wicked sense. There are movies, there are entertainments, there are programs that actually hold up the noblest of virtues. They hold up the virtue of justice, the virtue of righteousness, the virtue of rescue, the virtue of love, the virtue of charity, the virtue of strength, overcoming problems and troubles and struggles. All of those are biblical concepts, are they not? Well, one 367 let's begin to have the conversation because you know how time goes. It flies by quickly. I want you to give me two, negative and a positive one. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Your host, Jesse Gistan. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 535 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. one 367 one If you are persuaded that, that um, television, uh, entertainment movies, media of all forms have been absolutely uh, controlled by uh, the government, CIA, um, to be exact, with some DOD elements in it. Hollywood and the Department of Defense have been working together hand in hand ever since World War I uh, and certainly World War II to create predictive programming, hyper-suggestive uh, uh, presentations, images, propaganda, and it's happening today exponentially because of artificial intelligence and, you know, uh, every form of independent media and controlled media that you can uh, think of. And it's important for you to know that, that, that you and I are dealing with uh, an information war 
that requires understanding the categories, understanding the spirit of error and the spirit of truth, recognizing predictive programming that easily sways people at the subconscious level and drives them towards a submission of control to evil, uh, tyrannical governmental systems, uh, uh, addicting them. This is what we talked about during COVID when uh, Facebook was exposed and Google was exposed for working with Biden to manipulate facts in order for outcomes to occur in the uh, voting uh, system. That is very clear. Uh, and to actually implement a false narrative, uh, predictive programming of fear and death and dying if you don't go out and get the jab. That was that was put on us at an overload, and you know that, and it still has its ramifications. Uh, and they're very confident that they've already gotten a good majority of Americans and a percentage of the world locked into the lockstep of command. Pavlov's dog, I told you about that ready upon command to do the same thing should you hear from that orifice of media that we are dealing with another crisis. That's a, a catch term. But I'll give you one person, Tom Cruise, who has dedicated himself for the last two decades for making nothing but high-end, new-age, 21st century uh, propaganda, predictive programming uh, presentations that have a high level of credibility to them, as you might know, um, for, uh, for absolutely uh, coming to pass in our world as a predictive programming component. Just so many things within the Mission Impossible series that he, he did that brought that about that cannot, uh, and it just cannot be, cannot be denied. You and I know about the enemy of the state, if you can remember that. Uh, Demolition Man, you and I know about Star Trek. That goes back way back to my days. And here's a big one, The Matrix. You remember that one, War Games, Hunger Games. There are a lot of things. And I've used the Truman story to let you know that the ubiquitous nature of, um, of uh, surveillance, as was in that movie, was a predictive programming event to foreshadow that we would be a... A, a world governed by satellites and cameras everywhere. And, uh, and because of the capacity for collaboration on the part of the media, the government, your news outlets, your entertainment industries, everybody is an actor on a stage of propaganda, one way or the other, largely lying, largely lying the spirit of error but in some context, you and I have to be able to identify truth tellers because your movies have almost always given you those individuals who have broken out of the matrix, there you go, and have recognized what it means to be independent, free agents, free moral agents operating under an authority that is extricated from the influences of what the former system had imposed upon them. And then people groups doing the same thing. Contagion was another one of them. You guys know there are many. So what I want you to do is give me a call and uh, let's do two. Give me a negative one and then give me a positive one because the positive one is going to, um, the positive one is going to affirm my proposition. Not all movies are negative, uh, evil, horrifically designed to lead you astray. There was a time when um, America actually believed in uh, goodness, believed in 
morality was itself framed by a biblical worldview, uh, albeit as limited as it was, but because it knew the populace was a Bible-reading community, our nation at one point was a Bible-reading community. It was a community that did believe in right and wrong. It did believe in truth and error. It did believe in, in uh, facts and falsehoods. It did. But once we were unhinged gradually in our educational system from a biblical worldview, thanks to uh, Dewey and Locke and others, and uh, our society was absolutely trapped by a secularization of itself. I'm going to be talking about that in a few weeks in Romans chapter 1, 18 through 24. Secularism itself is an abandonment of a biblical worldview that constitutes God as the substratum reality that is the cause of everything, the first cause of the creation of everything. And the aim and objective is to uh, emulate God being some uh, bearers, uh, image bearers of that one true and living God. When once you disconnect yourself from a biblical worldview, you're open up to two things. You're open up to the lie of evolution or you're open up to the lie of demonism. They're two sides of the same coin, but they're not the same. They're two sides of the same coin. They're not the same. One is just uh, pure humanism from a diabolical standpoint. The other one is the explicit worship of Satan, Bomaphat, and many other uh, deviant Lilliputian gods that uh, pagan false religion, including Christianity, has succumbed to uh, in a very explicit way today. You can't, you can't do entertainment without seeing the clues everywhere of worshiping Bomaphat, the, the 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 demonic expression of a satanic image of a goat head uh, hybriding a body or the pagan deity of the Hindu god that is the female god of destruction. She's not even female. She's actually multifaceted in the sense that she's male, female, and other, which is where we are in our culture. This is a scary thing. Whatever god you look into its eyes, you become like. And all of that was a consequence of programming. I think you know what I'm saying is true. And so um, there were days when you could cut on the television and watch a really good program. What are you talking about, Pastor? I, you know, I can tell you there were times when I was eagerly looking for uh, watching programs that would actually uh, be encouraging, that would be edifying. They might even be within the context of humor, things like good times. For me, I enjoyed a lot of the uh, cartoons like Speed Racer and Underdog and Superman, old school Superman, okay? Um, I can argue for the fundamental moral ethical uh, lessons that were derived from the Huxtables or from the Brady Bunch or from good times. I mean, I could go on and on and on to let you know there were times when the screenwriters and scriptwriters understood the advantage of speaking to the choir because society had a palate and a diet and a disposition for good things, if you know what I mean. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, then we can just really go deeper into program, uh, movies that were affirming a biblical worldview uh, that, that were clear. And I said just Cecil B. DeMille's last Friday in terms of the Ten Commandments and how many uh, how many movies that will follow that been heard and so forth. Let's just lay them out so that we can understand what I meant by 
making sure you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's a lot of evil going on, but you and I should have a palate for being able to discern when men and women are relatively good, what I would call der uh, derivatively good. God gives us qualities of goodness because we're created in the Imago Dei in order to shine as lights in this darkness, whether we're saved or not. Ultimate goodness is in God. Ultimate goodness experience means Christ in you, the hope of glory. But relative goodness is from God to every creature that God would give grace to do the right things in the midst of difficult times to let the world know the difference between good and evil. So I want to have this conversation with you as well. And I am going to be talking as we go to the phone lines about leave the world behind because it's a parable in an inverted way, a secular way of Pilgrim's progress because Pilgrim also saw a city of destruction from which he fled, as did our girl Julia Robertson, uh, her family, along with the African-American uh, father and daughter that recognized the city was under uh, attacks, a cyber attack at that, which is, you know, the question you and I have to raise is why is the president giving us a presentation with uh, something that we know has all of the viability and possibility of um, a real-world scenario so close to that possibly happening because we are in that era in which the levels of warfare are technological more than they are this kind of crude wickedness that's going on in Gaza with the killing of over 20,000 people by bombs with the name gospel on it which is a crime against humanity that America is a part of as well. one 367 I'll be right back. Let's get at it with your phone calls on this Monday edition of Lifeline. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. We are back with Thomas 550 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let me just pepper us a little bit with the Leave the World Behind so that we can uh, get a good running start in this next hour. Fascinating, fascinating uh, presentation. Uh, one of the main uh, contributors to the production of it was Julia Roberts. Uh, did, a, did a great job. Her and a family of three, husband and two children, one teenage boy and one almost teenage daughter. Uh, and and the, the way the uh, the movie Leave the World Behind is set up is an angst, a sort of uh, variance. We saw the desire on the part of Julia to want to escape the world because she had grown hateful of humanity. That was her explicit words in the opening scene, which she with the camera looking her dead in the face, says, I have come to discover that I hate people. And uh, and we were able to look at that and understand that the premise of her desire to leave society was because of how evil society had become. Now, this doesn't make her good because she hates people, but it is an inverted expression of what the Bible says when it says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for the he who has the love of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All that's in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so we began to look at parallelisms and contrasting inversions between Pilgrim, who saw the world as a place of destruction, and fleeing that world 
and Julie and her family fleeing as well, uh, trying to get as far away as she could. And I highlighted that your Bible teaches that. It teaches a corrupt world and epics that require departure from it, such as in the Genesis 19 account, when God tells Lot to flee Sodom and to go to the mountains. And then Jesus lays that same argument out in Matthew 24 when he says to the disciples, when you see the abomination that makes desolate surrounding and in the holy place because Vespasian and Titus were brought in by the sovereignty and providence of God to destroy Israel because of its rebellion and destroy the temple, which was a symbol of Zionistic perpetuity, uh, Israel's identity. And it was destroyed as Christ had prophesied and to be saved from that destruction, the children of God, the elect, the Jewish believers, had to flee Jerusalem and go to Pelah, the mountains of Pelah, up the hill. And they did escape. We have the archives and records. Tacitus tells us that. Josephus tells us that. And others that they were heeding the warning. And we go through these cycles of having to escape the judgment that comes upon humanity because of its rebellion. And there were so many uh, parallelisms in that movie. If you want to call me and talk about them, you and I may. Obviously, we saw small hints of um, uh, hopeful moral applications, did we not? We saw the intrinsic racism uh, or discriminatory assumption on the part of, uh, of Julia uh, Julia Roberts, uh, in terms of here comes the black man with his daughter. <laughs> they not going to do say, hey, we actually own this place. This is a funny kind of inversion of uh, the larger colonial uh, intrusion uh, in Africa. South Africa has actually extricated itself from that foolishness. But the movie set it up in that inversion to have the black man being the owner of the home and not the white person this time. And yet they still had to work out uh, prejudice and fear, suspicion and doubt, and come to understand, and that was the cool moral element of the movie, I'm sure you know it, of uh, we got to work together to get through this. Because the goal of the power structures are to divide us, to conquer us. Very good. Let me see here. I might be able to take a call before we uh, go to the end of the break here. Let me see. On line number two, we're going to start with line number two with Donna and San Mateo. Hi, Donna. Are you there? Hi. Hi, Donna. Uh, okay. so um, like, um, there is something wrong with your phone. Are you on a regular phone or are you on a speaker? I'm on, I'm on myself. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yes, that's better. Somewhere where I'm... Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Oh, okay. So, uh, worst movie, um, uh, well, they were done beautifully with music and, and with the color and the direction and everything, but actually the bottom line, Ocean's Eleven, like yeah. the 1960 version and yes. the 2000, uh, whatever version. And um, it's hold when they started to... Can we do some movie time, sis? Sure. <laughs> okay, I totally get the predictive programming, no doubt right. about it. But it was really like good acting. 
Yeah, it was really good. I mean, that's how, that's how they're going to get it, right? Marketing. Right. They're going to bring exactly. Exactly. It right. was really good. So tell me what do you think the difference was between the older version and the newer version? Because again, that's like, you know, round two of the addiction, right? Round two of the right. uh, addictive, you know, uh, habituation of society. What was the slight difference between that first one and second one, Paula? That you saw? Um, uh, the, the, well, it was the beginning of making it good to be a crook. Okay. And you felt sorry for the crooks. Right. Um, and then I started to see a correlation between the political, uh, what was happening in the political scene. Totally and then, And then the, um, you know, religious, they were trying to push religion out, you know. Yes. And, um, and it was almost like what they're doing now. But the difference in the actors, I think, is um, so the first original Brat Pack um, I believe that they were, um, the difference between the two is one is in your face now, the, the original, I mean, the second one when it came in, uh, I got what it. Was it? Uh, yeah, the second yeah, ones, they were like in your face, this is what we are and we're cool. And you know, whether you like it or not, this is what's going to happen. And then the original one had kind of like a, a mystery to it. Like, of course. you know, Everybody knew that that was bad, that was corrupt, but then you saw what actually happened to these people later on that, you know, it wasn't a good scene. Not at all. Or now, now the, the one with Julia Roberts and George Clooney and, you know, all those guys, Brad Pitt, they were like um, a remake, you know, like the color came out even more and it was like, you want to be like us. And, right. you right. know, where there was a little bit of difference in the 60s with you know everybody knew the difference between right and wrong where you come into after clinton's administration where this thing totally shined and remember yeah. how clinton was so into hollywood at that time absolutely and, uh, um and the music and everything they were like we're in your face now this is the way it's going to be we don't care whether you think it's right or wrong yes ma'am you got it very good very good i'll talk about that when we're finished. So, because there could be a lot said there to deconstruct those movies and demonstrate the predictive programming of fundamentally uh, an increase in lawlessness, an increase in the callousness of lawlessness. And because lawlessness matriculates up into levels of real high power, um, again, this would be the, uh, the, the small book of uh, the New Testament, uh, it'll come back to me, uh, where because people have they do what they do because they have power to do it. And the idea is you cannot stop us. We're too powerful. That is exactly kind of what is taking place across the trend of, of the movies today. Because we have power to do it, we're doing it and you can't stop us. Therefore, you need to join us because the real place to be is where the power is. Right. It's virtue signaling too, I think now. You know, look at us. This is what we do. And if you want to be like us, it's really easy. You know, you just, it, it, there's no thought to it. There's no, you know, you can figure everything that's going to happen in these movies now. They're very you, predictable you and actually, designed to be predictable. Yeah. Exactly. But a lot of people get lost in the shiny, the, yes. you know, yes. like, like like uh, Pinocchio, you know, where the 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 
wolf comes in and says, hey, come to this place. We're going to, you can have all kinds of fun. You know, you get to eat candy and do all these things. It's all colorful. You get to play at the fairground. And then all of a sudden, you're a donkey in the mines pushing, you know. It's like That's you, right. you get lured in, and then all of a That's sudden right. you're in it, and you don't know it. Um, they don't have a hero in these in these old movies. That's they, right. Um, there's no heroes there. There's no redemption. There's no... Um, except, except that except that we're going to now, so that we don't uh, waste time, because I'm going to hear my, my, my board operator saying, okay, you got to take a break. What is a positive movie that gives a positive predictability on the principle of morals and ethics? There are movies out there that did that. Do you remember any? Yes, I, I like The Hobbit, like the um, the, uh, the first one that came back out. The Hobbit was really good in 2013. It had, you know, it had your the adversary, but then it had here, you can be a hero. You can be, you know, just, you know, stand. No matter how big that demon is or whoever it is, that monster, you can right. still do it. You just, you know. Yeah. Well, this and, this is called the this is called the savior motif model. We talk about that. That is extracted from your hero model, your savior motif model, which is the anomaly person, the apparently weak person, the least likely individual is going to be the hero model, and that is designed to encourage anyone that you can stand up to evil, and you can oppose evil, and you can win. To me, those are critically important messages to be conveyed to society, even though we could also deconstruct the Hobbit in terms of it operating from a dominion of uh, kind of wickery, witches, and, and magical right. dimensions. But nevertheless, I'm going to give credit to the overarching savior motif that you're sharing, because that's important. Listen, I got to take a break. Thank you for contributing. Uh, 1-888-367-5329, 1-888-367-5329. I think we might have a line open. Let's continue the conversation all the way through. I'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. And we are back. The time is 6.07 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got one line open one triple eight three six seven five three two nine one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. Again, we're talking about predictive programming and how movies are explicitly laying out moral ethical uh, norms or uh, aversions of moral ethical norms, um, the promotion of evil, perversion, and wickedness. And I mean, we could, we could, we could, uh, we could take this to levels of extreme, overt, high-tech demonism. Uh, there's no doubt about that reality occurring in our world now through technology. I've sent some of you guys out some presentations recently around what we are dealing with in terms of uh, technology at the governmental level. They know that they are playing with portals of absolute evil and demonism, um, and, and some of this has been predicted in movies as well. Let me see here. We are um dealing with uh we're gonna go to line number three and talk with Ramel from Oakland see what Ramel has Ramel are you there Ramel going hey, once Ramel I'm going to, yes. what's yeah. going on man how are you I'm doing great good good so, all right so you you know the proposition yes I'm a big movie buff so it, it's interesting going back and looking at this through a biblical lens. Um, so many movies. I'm try yeah. to. I kind of pinpointed a few. 
so and actually some TV shows too. So for the bad, I've been thinking a lot about Enemy of the State and a little more deeper because I mean that was made in 1998 and it's pretty much everything we're living with right now in terms of surveillance, tracking, connectivity, um, and they haven't unleashed it fully to the state of what Will Smith went through in that movie, but the system is clearly in place, which is kind of frightening. Um, on the good side, I've been kind of thinking about two, two series, the Born Identity series and one of the James Bond movies called Spectre. I don't know if you remember sure. that one. Uh, sure. I'm all, I've, I've seen all of them. Yes. So both of those series, what was interesting to me about those is that there's the hero, Jason Bourne, and James Bond, who start to discover that all they, they've been fighting for and loyal to actually has a very kind of... It's a dialectical process. Yeah. Under he, did, he did not recognize that he was part of the punk cart system. Remember, we talk about this politically, right? The yeah. plantation yeah. left-right narrative, right? He finally came to realize that the Brits aren't, aren't all good and the rest of the world is all bad, but that he's actually serving that system. It's very good. You're doing, that's a great job. Go ahead on. Yeah, and that what's interesting is that, and to tie to something I just saw, um, regarding the fellow who did the Dark Horse series, he was on. He was one of the cats who got shut down really early, talking about the yeah, Brett, Rice, and the Brett, Brett Weinstein. One of my, well, he was, he's Weinstein. one of my asterisk, asterisk uh, whistleblowers, uh, Brett Weinstein, because he's an evolutionary yeah. biologist. Mm -hmm. He's also Jewish. Him and his wife are both brilliant, but they're they're limited by a lack of a biblical worldview as a real tool for interpreting what's going on. But he has a lot of good things to say. What do you got to say about it? Yeah, and he, and he, so to quickly connect those two movies to the, the, the nonfiction is that he recently was on Tucker Carlson's show talking about how, again, he's, he's, he's open now to really seeing what the fight is. Right. And that the positive side of that massive, um, shutting down, canceling, corralling, removing folks and silencing their voices is that they've actually unleashed a group of the smartest people with knowledge, skills, and abilities to actually start fighting against it, which reminds me of Bourne and James Bond is that they both have these particular skills that they now can use to kind of fight the system as well. But no, I told you, I, yeah. Yeah. No, very, very, very good. Very good. Um, any, any, any one other good scenario before I let you go? Then I was thinking about TV shows. And when you mentioned Good Times, that was one of my favorite shows. And it's funny how some people saw that as a negative. It's like, why are you glorifying poverty? But I always saw it as that's a family living in a jacked up situation, but they haven't succumbed to moral decay. They still are a family unit. There's optimism, hope. They don't resort to crime and kind of the degenerate behavior that we that folks kind of promote is, oh, well, if you're poor, you're going to be a, a criminal. Not all the time, you know, because there's a strong family unit. And it connected with the lineage of the Cosby shows back then with Cosby's and then A Different World, which I really, really enjoy watching. It's like just wholesome, good shows that depicted a different possibility in life. Um, no, totally, totally perfect. No. 
but also it, it spoke about race relations too. And actually, before that, in between was the Jeffersons yeah. on the family, and um, I forget the other show that was. Uh, it was another show, but they all were like showing a different aspect of how you can exist and, and imagine a life even while you're in the struggle. Now, what they were doing, as I had said, what they were doing, Ramil, as I had stated earlier, just to anchor our perception of those things and the moral, ethical, um, obvious moral, ethical messages and overtones that were coming, we would argue that those were the vestiges of a biblical worldview latent mm -hmm. in their society and their parents because it would have been a foregone conclusion that as a general rule, they grew up in the church, particularly African-Americans who did at one point take their Bible seriously. And so, and we knew this, definitely we knew this before uh, before uh, welfare. Uh, uh, we, we knew that families stayed together no matter how difficult things were. And, and the biblical model is we didn't have to be rich because what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses soul as we are learning in the Pilgrim's Progress. But when you stay together and you pray together and you hang in there, you make things work out. And they all experience different trials, particularly good times, as you said, in a different world. And um, and the Jeffersons were a next level up, meaning that they did move into prosperity. And because they did move into prosperity, there became a kind of mixed bag of struggles and challenges and, and different level nuances that came in. Because what I would be arguing, and I've got to let you go here, is that if you follow the Helios, the history, the progression of history, as history progressed and society has devolved into a corruption of moral decadence and narcissism, so the movies changed as well. So there's this interplay between the movies impacting society and the society framing how the movies must be made so that you have this constant feedback loop that is working as part of Romans chapter one of the exchanging of the true God for the false God and therefore society being shaped over into the image of the hyper self narcissism and chaos that we have at this present time. Thank you, my dear brother, for the call. That was good. I want to continue that conversation because... What you are doing is affirming my proposition that if we're careful, we can actually derive those biblical concepts from programs that may not be so obvious, but they don't have to be. We have to be discerning. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. All right, we are back. The time is 6.20 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. Let's hurry to line number one and talk with Tanshia in Antioch. Tanshia, are you there? Hi, Pastor. How are you? Um, I'm doing fan and you? I'm very well. So you know that you know the game we're playing? I do know the game we're playing, but Pastor, can I just please make a few comments on the movie leave the world behind sure um one thing i wanted to point out just because i know family is important is important to god is the relationship between the husband and the wife um for once they showed a healthy relationship with an assertive wife but with a man who's also secure enough in himself 
um, to let her do her thing sometimes, but when it comes down to it, the decision is up to him. And it starts off with her packing up and having everything ready to go. When he wakes up, she explains to him um, her motives. They've been under a lot of stress. It's an opportunity for the family to get away, and she did it this way because she removed any um, reason for him to oppose it. She knew her husband, and she surprised him with a, hey, let's get away. And then, um, but when it was time to let the um, Scots in, the the it was the man who let the Scots in. And um, as me seeing uh, the house owner, he mm -hmm. being a type of Christ, he's the one knocking at the door. Um, it's the man that let that let Christ in and and led. So, which is what a husband is supposed to do: lead his family to Christ. When she was like, hey, I want to leave them outside, he said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to let them in. I'm going to um, uh, see if they have a good vibe. If they have a bad vibe, then I'm not going to agree to it. And she submitted to that. Um, and then um, when, uh, and then when um, they was at the scene with the Tesla cars, mm -hmm. you want a wife who can sense danger. She didn't have an opportunity to explain to him. They, they had to tag team this thing. They in an emergency situation. Um, he stayed with the kids. I know for me, if because I, I love, you know, I love my son. I would want the most, the protector to be with my kids. And she took to go. They're, they didn't sense any immediate danger, so she went to go check it out. She had more information than he did. So when she came running to the car, um, she just, you know, hey, we got to go. She didn't have time to explain. And you would want a woman who could, uh, a man by, that's the, that's a help me to be able to um, help her help her husband because, and it did make sense for him to stay in the car because he was the driver at the time. And if there was any danger coming from them, uh, ahead of them, then he's already in the car. He can get the car running and she could just drop in. But it, but um, it didn't happen that way. And so she had to hurry up and act because he didn't have all the information and there wasn't time, but he didn't argue with her about his authority or anything because if he had they all would have been um badly injured or or dead and then but then when um they was at the scene where um um where she, where she wanted to leave he said no what we're going to do is, is we're going to go to sleep and we'll wake up in the morning and we'll figure it out and she's like well what's the plan for in the morning he said i don't know but right now we're going to go to sleep and in the morning we'll figure it out and she submitted to that so you can see the balance in the relationship. And in a lot of movies today, you don't get that. You see a power struggle or a complete dominance of one over the other. Um, and then another thing that I just wanted to, just a quick synopsis. I say in a lot of things in the movie, but just a quick synopsis of when um, a person um, comes to Christ. So Christ knocked at the door. They let him in. At first, we opposed Christ like Julia Roberts did. But then mm -hmm. as she got to know God, then she repented, and then it reminded me, oh, also, too, how you said that when God comes, it's a life interruption. He, he interrupts our life, right. just like what the man did. He interrupted their, um, their vacation. But anyways, she repented. Once she repented, um, she danced with God, and it reminded me of um, that series that you did for the Women's Theology, Dancing with God. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and also too, when they got into the house, the song that was playing, 
never going to let you go. You belong to me. So anyways, and that's what happens when we belong to Christ. Um, and, but I've seen a whole bunch of other stuff, but I know we don't have a lot of time. The two that I wanted to say was The Blacklist. It's mm-hmm. not actually a movie. It's a TV show. Sure. Um, but right. we I chose it. Yeah. it be- it's great predictive programming. It's, it's, it's extremely um, relevant on top of us. That's ground zero predictive programming. In fact, Blacklist was really kind of just an expression of what's going on in the PSYOP world at the level of Department of Defense and and government collaboration around terrorism it's it's immediate it's immediate predictive program but the thing that um this so, is my so what i don't want you to do so that, so what i don't want you to do for time's sake because you don't get to unpack that in the same way you did uh yes sir <laughs> you don't have you don't have I understand. time Okay, and then my good one would be um, Black Adam or a lot of the uh, um, or or um, the Avengers, um, the Endgame, because the whole idea is um, banding together and, and sacrificing oneself for for the self salvation. Right. Okay. And, yeah. No. Without a doubt. Okay. I, no. No. You could. You're good. Without a doubt. The the need to be able to um, ascertain. The, the framework of the movie to be able to capture the um, the secular obvious intentionality of the movie is going to have sometimes a predictive program programming component that is evil. There's no doubt about it. But a biblical worldview allows you to look for at least look for it could be it could be uh, what we call an eisegetical element that is to read into it. But that's a lens that will keep you from collapsing into buying the product that they may want to sell to you. Um, obviously, would leave the world behind. The overarching message was about imminent danger at a cyber attack level. And what will we do? Will we let the petty differences that are the consequence of us not valuing very important things in our life that really destroy the normalcy of our lives until the crisis comes. Um, it really was about really learning how to value what you have. Of course, uh, Tanshia, you caught very clearly, as we talked about on Friday, family values, uh, collaboration, intuition in that movie, uh, leave, leave the World Behind, which is so, 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 important for us to have, because as you stated, in collaboration, sometimes what must rule is rationale. That's where the man, as a general, must be rational. He must not allow the family to succumb to irrational hyper-emotionalism. But sometimes intuition has to be the guiding factor, because you just don't have time to deconstruct when you got a, a, a white ghost coming to wipe the whole family out called, you know, the uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, driving car. So they had to move out of the way. All that was, all of that was good. Uh, I love the little twist on uh, on the brother being a savior motif too. See, this is going to make people watch the movie more importantly. I do have something to say about why Obama and Michelle made that movie. Uh, but but then again, I, I love the, as we talked about before, uh, many of the uh, comic heroes, because I've watched them as well. This goes to speak to our society's um, evolutionary development and devolutionary altering and departing from those fundamentals that forced 
Hollywood to make some movies that cater to the element of a society that actually loves, enjoys, and believes in in goodness. And yes, I'm so glad that you made mention of that little element of uh, Julia and our brother uh, coming to know each other to the point of dancing. What a really beautiful truth. Acquaint yourself with God and be at peace. What a biblical concept. I'm going to start this conversation with Jermaine on line four, since I have one minute, and then we'll come back. Jermaine, are you there? Oh, yes, I'm here. How are you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Enjoying the show so far. Excellent. I'm going to give us one minute for you to uh, set the table with uh, with a proposition or two of predictive programming. Um, I actually did not see the movie, but I've been enjoying the breakdowns. So part of the reason was I've been occupied and I also feel like I've seen a lot of it before. Uh, I feel like we lived through the last three years of the epitome of predictive programming. And for me, I see all the connections, but I think one of the most predictively programmed show of all time that's kind of unsung is, is The Simpsons. Because even though it's a cartoon, there are things that they touch on in that series over the years that that the connections are just uncanny and it just makes you wonder what's going on behind the scenes. Kind of like when uh, the former president Trump was bringing up things about Hunter Biden and, and uh, other subjects four or five years ago in a debate and kind of speaking in code language. And then lo and behold, a lot of what sounded crazy turns out to be true. So, you know, for Hold me, on, I want to take a break. I want to take a break and then we're going to come back with you on that. The senses are an elite uh, cartoon, comedy, uh, sort of uh, espionage for political dialogue and commentary about what's going on. They are hyper-predictive program scenes, hyper-predictive and accurate, because they do, they actually do analysis on the accuracy of a lot of these programs that predict stuff, and The Simpsons are um, one of the elite programs. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. To join the conversation, call 888-4KFAX. That's 888-FOR-KFAX. And now back to Lifeline. We are indeed back. The time is 6.35. Time flies when you're enjoying yourself. Um, you guys can join us for our Tuesday night Bible study. If you're out there and you need a community where we get deeply into the Word of God and address a world that we are living in with these kind of critical analysis um, perspectives, uh, a radical Christocentric interpretation of the world, even the things that come up out of humanity's uh, creative expressions. Uh, we, we, we can see God's glory in it when it's done well. Um, yes. Can we go back to line four and talk with Jermaine? Jermaine, we want to extend your thoughts on, uh, on our conversation. Yes, you were right. The Simpsons played a massive role. This is why it was so popular and it, it actually opened the door for other a lot of other kind of cartoonish uh, presentations to actually do the same thing. Political commentary um, is uh, as a sub narrative for uh, for plots in these uh, in these programs are absolutely essential to long term success. Right, right. Um, I think some people are obviously using formats that they can they can kind of code speak their their message and get it across to people without being overtly obvious about what they're doing. Um, you know, I like what Brother Romel had brought up as far as Spectre. I actually just watched that again, I think a week or so ago. And 
a lot of these things that don't seem like they're connected, you come to find out they are, even right now with the, the whole WHO and the lockdowns, the elections, and, and now this whole Epstein fiasco. You know, if you really pay attention, everything is connected and it leads to an ultimate source. I, I um, For me, what always hits home is that movie The Matrix, where they have one of the characters where they were trying to destroy the Matrix and he betrays everyone and says, I don't care if it's fake. He just, he wants to go right back in because it's more comfortable to be comfort, comfortable in a lie than to face the hard truth and have to actually put up a fight and to think versus having someone do it for you. And that's why I find a lot of our society is at right now. I agree. And, and they're there because of a level of failure to comprehend the uh, supremacy of Christ as the source of their strength, you know, from the position of which I've been sharing with us now for several years, particularly since this recent, um, you know, fifth dimension warfare uh, battle that the world has undergone with propaganda. It's a warfare that is playing a major role in, in shaping their views and, and, and succumbing to uh, you know, the proposition, who can make war with the beast? That's what you're saying. When he collapsed right back into laying down and being plugged in again so that he goes to sleep. Now his brain is part of a uh, beehive system. You know that because he's plugged in, he has no independent thought, no freedom of mind to actually be objective, self-indexing, that is knowing himself because he emerges, he now becomes submerged into a whole set of uh, mind high thoughts. This is this is socialism at the epitome of technological domination and control, where people don't think for themselves. Uh, a system thinks for them, and you and I know that that's already happening in terms of uh, Neuralink. That capacity is taking place. I'm about to send you guys some stuff on that now. That's absolutely over the top in terms of the technological capacity for the brain to be connected into a computer system and your thoughts be transmitted from your brain to somebody else's brain via the mechanism of computers and the implications of that are absolutely uh, astoundingly uh, dangerous on so many so many uh, levels, Jermaine, that, that, uh, that analogy is perfect right there. Um, we, our job, as would have been, uh, I think, is is Neo, uh, is to um, is to to fight against it, to try to stay awake. And as vigorous as the battle is, and as ubiquitous as the enemies and foes are, um, you just keep fighting because it's in your nature. It's in your nature to do so, and that's you know. So the just shall live by faith. We shall fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of, onto eternal life. Uh, we will, by the grace of God and victory in Christ not succumb to the beast system and buy into the lie and therefore be part of that <clears throat> a part of that that growing number of, of sleepwalking people who uh, are fearful and, and, and engaging in idolatry. So yeah, um, just let, let's all keep up uh, the good work and, and continue. I'll give you the last word before we move on if you have anything else to say. Yeah, just um, and it's not to pick on anybody, but with this whole uh, involving Epstein thing and the yes. President Clinton being let's take that. We're going to take the next four minutes, you and I, 
because I, what I want to do is toss this up as a tennis ball, and then we'll come back to this. We're going to be off next week, you guys, so you have to take a break. And then the following, because next week is MLK Jr.'s you know, birthday, so we'll just take a break. But we'll come back the week following, because nothing. this one here is another can of worms opening up. They call it the honeypot, so you guys need to get that term, the honeypot. The honeypot is a mechanism that is used by the CIA and the Mossad and our government to trap politicians and wealthy people by putting them in a situation where they are engaging in sexual behavior that is perverse, that is uh, uncomely, and in many cases criminal. And this is why Jeffrey Epstein died. We know this for a fact. And now they're about to unleash a list of names, more names, which Mr. Bill Clinton has been in Jeffrey Epstein's place 50 times plus. But you and I are not surprised about that. Anyhow, what do you have to say about it before we uh, close our conversation? Well, just, um, yeah, just these people are so depraved and given over to the fleshly nature that they know full well situations like these can can develop into some form of blackmail. That's why, you know, some of these celebrities hiring gangsters for security and, and getting involved with organized crime, they're always advised against it because they know where it's going to end up, but people try and push the line. But for me, the saddest thing is that, you know, the evidence looks pretty, pretty, you know, devious in itself. But after all of this, I kind of feel like you're still going to have certain segments of maybe say some, some areas of the black church that will still invite this man and these people around them into their pulpits to have access to their flock and have, a, you know, an inflated authority. And for me, that's the saddest thing of all, because it's, it just makes me wonder how much you believe in your God when you have people who are obviously corrupt, obviously in need of salvation, and you put them right up there and, and give them authority over your uh, your people. So I, mm -hmm. I just don't... I I, I, I will help you, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to try to catch somebody else before this segment is out. Great, great, great observation, my dear brother, on both the Simpsons and Epstein. We'll get to that. Um, the Bible is very clear. The prophets prophesied falsely. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 31. The prophets prophesied falsely, and the Bible is clear. If you are a wicked person, you will listen to naughty speech. If you're wicked, you listen to naughty speech. doesn't matter how much you go to church. The black church has been captivated for dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of years. I tell you, if, if you don't rise above politics, you're not serving Jesus, you're serving your own flesh. They've done that forever. Of course, people like that will get up into their churches because for black church, in many ways, white church, obviously, with this neo-Zionism, it's all about power. I'm teaching us this every week. This is the difference between Jesus and the rulers of Israel. One wanted power. That's why they were willing to lay down and be, be shillings for Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. These are the same power dynamics going on with us today as well. Same thing going on. We'll expand the Epstein thing because all of the cats that are rulers way all the way up to the top, like you said, Bill Gates, they all were like bees chasing that honey and got trapped. And uh, But what you and I need to be asking is why the release? And, and I would give you the theological uh, sort of implications of that, that we are dealing with an open conspiracy period. This is what Plato said long ago. Once the government feels as if everything is in place, it doesn't matter whether the people know. It doesn't matter whether you know. It only matters whether you care. If you don't care, they don't care about you knowing because as long as you know and don't do something about it, 
They don't care. That's what thugs do. That's what criminals do. They kill people in front of people. And, you know, this is when you think you have covered the market. You got control of the media. You got the banking control. You got the government. You got the judiciary. This is what's going on. You and I are seeing the unraveling of the stars falling from heaven. When I come back, I'll pick up you, Jashana. Maybe I'll get you James and Dave today. Lord willing, we'll see what happens. It's the money edition of Lifeline. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. All right. We've got about 10 minutes in our segment. See what we can do. If we can move pretty quick. Let's go to Jashana on line number two. Jashana, are you there? Hello, Pastor Jesse. How are you? I'm good. Give me one bad and one good. Um, the bad is Smile. Um, it's a 2022 movie that I watched with my son about... Uh, directly about demonic possession uh, uh, in the psychological realm. And um, I remember watching it about five minutes into the movie, I told my son, this is not going to be a happy ending um, because there's no, there's, this was a movie about our reality. So there's no superhero, there's no extra power. There's no Christ in it. It's about a psychiatrist, I, and I told him, I said, outside of Christ, there's no way to um, subdue, subdue or kill a demon. And um, the whole movie was about human means and human psychology, trying to figure out what's going on. Finally, they determined it was a demon, trying to trap the demon, and in the end, they weren't able to do it. Um, of course. The, the, the main who, character who can was make killed. War, who, made, who can make war with the beast? That's what they're saying. Right, right. Um, who was the main character? That, uh, her, her name was, I think it was Rosie Bacon. Um, did you, did you, a, did, were you able to get all the way through that? Uh, pure, apparently, purely secular movie without any Oh yes, I got through it. Did did yeah. did, did, we did, it did the it end. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, you. Whenever you are, it stuck. was a good conversation with LJ because I was able to tell him for five minutes in the movie. I told him, I said, they're not going to kill this demon. I promise you. And I gave him the biblical, and he was looking at me like I was crazy. And then we got to the end. He said, "Mommy, you're right. They didn't do it." I said, "I know they didn't do it." Did, did no you record? Did you record those two words? Those three words. Mommy, you're right. Did you record that, girl? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> no. All right, give me a good one. Um, you know, it's been, it was hard for me to think of a good one. The best one I came up with was Star Wars, the original three movies. Um, I enjoyed Star Wars. It was your, your good, your bad, your ups and downs. But the best part to me of Star Wars is the the love that Luke Skywalker still tried, or uh, forgiveness that he tried to show his father in the end, saved his life, and at the end buried Anakin, Anakin taking off, uh, Darth Vader taking off his mask. Sure. Um, and, and so that that's the only one I could think of uh, as far as a good movie. <laughs> yeah, now there are many of them, and so part of what we are doing and what I'm doing here is is saying that the only reason we may not be able to um, more immediately discover um, 
the, the good ones is because we haven't been intentional about about finding them. But they're but they're just as much there as as in, as anyone would be. I would say Saving Private Ryan. Fabulous. Yeah, that's a good fabulous. Yeah, you're right. Fabulous movie. And I could give more. I wanted us to do that. I wanted to cultivate that among us because what we have to be able to do, you guys, is understand how deeply we are rooted in a framework of a biblical perspective on what God views as good and right and just. And his narrative of redemption has to shine through even at the pragmatic level um, so movies that go into rescue mode, movies that go into deliverance mode, movies that go into sacrificial mode, like Saving Private Ryan was just off the hook. Listen, let me see if I can get a couple more of our callers. Thank you, sis. We'll talk to you later, of course. Oh, by the way, Tanshia, uh, you, had a, you had a sister that said she really enjoyed that crystal-centric interpretation of Leave the World Behind. Uh, and so there you go. You were a blessing to somebody with that one. And that is what can be done if we're able to use the right filter on these kinds of modalities of, uh, of predictive programming. Let's go to line number three quickly and talk with James. James, are you there? Yeah, PJ, I'm here. And I, uh, you know, I'm not real big on movies. I'm just going to put a couple of programs out there to see if I'm somewhere on the line and I could take my answer off the air because we're in the same generation and I'm, I, I'm going back. So I'm going back to the sixties. Like some of the shows you mentioned, we grew up watching the same shows. Some, some of them more obvious, like the bionic series. Like I would think like, um, $6 million man, I guess they're doing that sort of stuff now. Bionic sure. Woman. Absolutely. Uh, 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 I was thinking about maybe uh, like outer limits in the twilight zone. Yes, sir. Those are all predictables. We're there now. Okay, right. Well, I mean, right. And then I was going to say the original Mission Impossible. Um, yes, indeed. Uh, it, you know, for me, all things um, <clears throat> Tom Cruise are all movies that were rooted in DOD, uh, CIA, um, uh, predictive programming components. All of them from the beginning up to now. I mean, we can talk about Tom Cruise and all of his Mission Impossible presentations to chips in the hand. Chips in the hand. All of that is here now. People want to pretend that it doesn't exist. They're putting the scanners everywhere now because there will be chips in the hand. Uh, there's this is legitimate. It's taking place right now, even in uh, in um, in Sweden and other countries where people don't really care because they're being trained not to care. Give me. A, uh, do you have a positive one before I let you go? I'm gonna try to catch Dave before we pull out. Go and catch him. We can talk. Go catch him. Absolutely. Thank you, my brother. Let me go to line number one and talk with Dave from Oakland. We got about a minute and a half. We can probably have some fun. How you doing, Dave? Hey, PJ. How's it going? Love this, man. We got to do a part two. You got all the I, I totally agree. We'll probably we'll probably do it on our live stream. Do me a favor. Give me one bad and one good. Right. So it's not a movie. It's a show. It's called That'll Alter, Work. Altered Carbon is on uh, Netflix. It's some really uh scary stuff talking about chips in the hand they're 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 into uploading memories into clones so now when you die you never basically die because you can absolutely upload your 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 basically your psyche your spirit into a disc 
That's right. an that's an avatar. That's an avatar. That is the reason why every piece of data, every piece of movement, everything that's going on is designed to actually duplicate you across the totality of all the information about you, so they could create that avatar. That's the avatar paradigm. That is reality. Great right. man, that's, that's really good. That's the bad, and, and then the good is uh, always. I always got to go with Narnia. Chronicles of Narnia, of course. Asalon, Asalon, the lion. I, I love it's, that, it's, boy. I love that. No, the Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, I, we could talk a lot about that. But there you go. That's a hero motif that is so um, cutting edge, is it not? Because it's definitely requiring you to understand themes on a heart level in terms of the, the hero who is willing to engage in major levels of sacrifice and warfare with skill sets and levels and technological abilities and intuitions and things of that nature that if you if you if you can see a redemptive line in it you can enjoy it i, I thoroughly enjoyed it from the first one to the last one the chronicles of narnia were off the chain. that is really good man very good we could we can talk about more too we can get into a whole lot of different lines listen thanks for the call my dear brother all right there you go you guys Tuesday night Bible study. You want to join us at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Seven o'clock is our study study time. You can watch us online. Of course, we are dealing with the Pilgrim's Progress in our Zoom. You can email me. Got it, got it, Miles. You can email me uh, at gbchayward at gmail.com. If you guys want to add, add more commentary on our topic tonight, you can do that too. gbchayward at gmail.com, gbchayward at gmail.com, or get plugged in, no pun intended, because we are, we are definitely taking it to another level this year as we unpack the scriptures in the Pilgrim's Progress in the Book of Romans as well. Tuesday night, we're going to be dealing with help. How did Pilgrim get out of the slew of despond? In Wednesday, we're going to deal with worldly wise men. Why he hated the evangelists. Until next time, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord give you his peace in the person of his son, Jesus. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved.